This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. For years, I was so fed up with shampoo, I just stopped washing my hair. I quit completely. I was so sick of poofy, frizzy, limp hair, distorting my natural oils. Until a few months ago, I found modern mammals and it changed everything. And by the way, right now you can visit modernmammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. So check that out. So look, I heard about this through the podcast and before I agreed to advertise, they sent it to me and I was reluctant. But let me tell you, I should not have been. This stuff is absolutely magical. My hair felt better, smelled way better, and most importantly, looked better. And I know it will do the same for you as well. It doesn't have those hair-ruining chemicals like other products, and it doesn't leave any leftover residues. It works. Don't believe me? Go read their awesome reviews online as well. Go to ModernMammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. Again, that's ModernMammals.com for 10% off with promo code LSS. Don't forget to use our promo code LSS so they know we sent you. is up everyone shout out to my sinners worldwide welcome to another episode of lead singer syndrome as always i am your host mr shane told as i talk to other lead singers about what it's like to be the front man or front woman of a band and this week we got a fucking cool episode man um i loved every second of talking to cole from swimmers and let's be real here this kid has a unique story i mean imagine growing up and your best friend his dad just happens to be the lead singer of the biggest punk rock band of all time and that is billy joe armstrong of green day so pretty cool story and very smart kid got his head on super straight and it was a pleasure talking to him. Uh, thank you, Cole, for doing this. Thank you, his PR person, Colin, for setting it up. And we're going to get to that in just a minute. But first, I want to thank everybody who checked out the episode last week with Jamie Jasta of Hatebreed, one of my favorite episodes I've done to date. Um, and hey, you know, if you like the show, maybe it's your first time listening to it, you know, you can go back and listen to some old episodes. We've got like 89 of them or something so yeah thank you so much for for being a part of this thing for being subscribed if you're a member of the all access club shout out to my sinners worldwide Sinnerfest is coming up i'm getting ready it's gonna be a lot of fun if you don't know what i'm talking about you're not alone i'm talking about the lead singer syndrome all access club basically it's a fan club for people who can't get by with only one Lead Singer Syndrome episode a week. And don't worry, this show will always be free. But if you want a little more and you don't mind throwing me a bone, as little as $6 a month, you can get bonus episodes, free merchandise sent to your house, 
interaction with other members of the club and myself, as well as special events like Sinnerfest, which is coming up real soon, contests, and if you want to buy Lead Singer Cinder merchandise, the only way to get it is to be a member of the All Access Club. So check it out. The link is leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access. Another way you can help the show if you buy anything on Amazon at all. We got back to school shopping. Maybe you need a new backpack. Maybe you need a new computer. I don't know. Maybe you don't go to school like me. Maybe you're just going to take advantage of some sales. Whatever it is, Amazon has it. And you know what I'm talking about. They have literally everything. And they have this affiliate program, which is really, really cool. I don't know why they do it, but it really does benefit me. So basically, if you go to leadsingersyndrome.com slash Amazon, it'll take you right to the Amazon homepage. You log in as normal as you always would. And anything that you buy, our show gets four to six percent and it costs you absolutely nothing. Again, I don't know why they do it, but I mean, that shit can add up. So it really does go a long way in helping us keep the lights on around here and keep this show coming at you week after week. In other news with me, I'm about to head over to Australia in two weeks. Um, I'm going to be doing some River Oak shows opening up for my very good friends in Hawthorne Heights. So if you're in Australia, be sure to check that out. We're playing pretty much all over the whole country. And my band Silverstein has a brand new record out now. It's been out for just about a month now. It's called Dead Reflection. It's one of our best. So please, you know, go check it out, whether it's just a couple streams on Spotify, whether you're picking up the vinyl, whatever it is. Anyways, thanks for tuning in. Here's my conversation with Cole Becker of Swimmers. Cole? Yeah, how you doing? Hey, dude, I'm so good. How are you? Great, great. It's nice to finally catch up with you. Very nice to catch up with you, man. And uh, look at that. We're right on time today. Perfect. Yeah, that, that shit, was... That shit never happens, you know? Like, like, you're a punk rocker. I'm a punk rocker. When we can get our <laughs> shit together on time, it's like a, it's kind of a fucking miracle, you know? It's very hard. I know. I, I, I was told you're a very nice nice person and so i didn't want to wrong you by forgetting about this <laughs> don't believe everything you hear don't <laughs> believe i'm a fucking asshole so uh hey whatever uh dude cole becker uh of swimmers on lead singer syndrome uh i'm so stoked to have you man uh love your music love the new band not that i didn't love the old band but thank you since you guys have have made the switch the name change the whole bit uh, I think your music is awesome, and I really, really enjoy your last record. Hey, thank you so much. So, what are you guys doing right now? You're you're in Providence, Rhode Island. If uh, the internet is is not lying to me, it is not lying to you. We're here. I am. We're playing in this park for a radio station for WBRU. It's their like summer concert series, and oh, it's okay. pretty cool. It's, it's like right on this this nice little. Um, outcropping of the river that runs through here and you know it's it's relaxing we actually had a few days off and i went back to california to see some family um and i got on a red eye to come out here so i'm very exhausted right but- well hey thanks for taking the time I, I know how that can be 
Um, so yeah, so you just finished up the all-time low tour. That's correct, right? Yes. And I bet that was pretty fucking bonkers. I mean, that band just slays. People come out in droves for them. Uh, how, yeah, did you, how did you fit in? Because it's funny, you know, we talked a little bit about the name change, and we'll talk all about that in a bit. But I, I feel like your new music now, like your old band, Emily's Army, would have fit in better <laughs> musically with All Time Low. And now you're like, not to say the odd man out, but, you know, what you're doing is a little more forward thinking, you know, than classic, you know, pop punk. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I mean, yeah, it's definitely a, it was definitely like a, a challenge and a lesson in um, just patience. I think the crowd, like I was, first off, I was so like, um, as somebody who wasn't that familiar with All Time Low's music before we did the tour, I was so shocked at how big the shows were and how dedicated and like amazing their fans are. Yeah. Um, and it, it was funny because I think we went into it just thinking that all shows, um, you know, we came off of doing a tour with Fiddler and our headline shows are always a little bit more bonkers and like people, a little bit older crowd hurting each other a little bit more. Um, <laughs> and so to come in to all time Lowe's crowd, which is much younger and it's a lot of kids first shows. Yeah. We, we were really like shocked at first that, that nobody was dancing and that they weren't responding and we thought they didn't like us. And so we were kind of down at first, but then we realized they just like to be told what to do. Yeah. And so you just tell them to clap and they'll clap and you tell them to jump and they'll jump. Um, but sometimes if we have too many of our own fans at the all time low shows, the, uh, the younger kids coming for all time low will get a little offended. You know, they're not used to people bumping into them on purpose. Right. So no, it, was, totally. it was a lesson for our fans and a lesson for us and definitely a lesson. And just how, like trying to find a single at least a few strings of unity to thread through the whole crowd, you know? Yeah. Well, it's funny, you know, you're, you're right. And it's kind of like when you have a younger crowd and you bring up, it's something I don't think about a lot, but when you have a, a crowd where a lot of the kids out are, it's their first show or they've only maybe been to one other show before, you can kind of pull off all the like real cheap tricks. Yeah. You know exactly. what I mean? Because they haven't seen it before. So you can go with the real like cliche stuff if you want to. Yeah, and it's it works. super fun. Right. It was like the first time I ever felt comfortable doing that. You know, they they were super awesome and like it, it was fun. I got to play Rockstar for a little bit. Right, yeah. And it's funny because, you know, my band Silverstein, we just got off Warp Tour. and Oh, how was that? Oh, you know, it was good. It was a good summer. We had um, we had like 12 days of rain in a row, Jeez. which was garbage. But other than Sounds that. Sounds like Warp Tour, though. I know. And it was hot as fuck, but that's, you know, par for the course. Uh, but no, it was good. It was it was good. People came out and it was good crowds. They were excited. And we did yeah. really we did really well. And it's it, to get back to what I was saying, it, it's funny because, you know, the first like week or so, you know, you're kind of finding your sea legs a little bit with, with you know, how you're going to pull it off. And I kind of got out there one time and the crowd wasn't really responding and I was a little frustrated. And I just kind of started yelling at them and being like, <laughs> when I say jump, you fucking jump. When I say pit, you circle pit. And then... It was like it was like I had this so something came over me. It was like, oh yeah, I just have to tell them what to do and they'll do it. I know, and it's kind of a sad, sad truth about our job is that <laughs> people really just want to be told what to do, and you think you know, like punk rock is all about refusing to be told what to do, but uh, yeah, 
you know, at the end of the day, we're all human and we're all kind of, um, we're all, all slaves to that impulse, you know? Yeah, slave to impulse, to quote propagandi. Um, yeah. No, it's, it's, yeah, it's funny, man. I, I think, yeah, you're right. And I think the other thing, too, that we may, maybe we forget um, because, I mean, you're, you're a lot younger than I am. So you're probably, your days of being that young kid at a show aren't as far away as mine were. But, you know, mm-hmm. you still, you still, you go out to a show as a fan. There's a little bit of an escape, right? You kind of yeah, want to totally. get back into that, you know, when you're in your bedroom with your headphones on feeling but you're doing it around other people but you still have the sort of escape so when someone's screaming at you and yelling and everything like it isn't just about somebody having like a a power over you or or step up on you sometimes it's just about like i want to let loose and have a good time exactly and how can i do how can that be facilitated and that's the way to do it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's definitely it sorry um yeah it's like I had to, that was one of the biggest things I think I learned from this tour is that it's a full, you're giving them, you're not just giving them live experience, you're giving the, or live, live music, you're giving them a full experience, you know? Totally. And because, I mean, I've been, I, I am still that kid at the Bug Show and it's a band that I really care about and I, my schedule works out to where I get to see them, I'll, I'm, I'm still in the pit for them and like, hell yeah, I, I need that escape and, uh. Yeah, so it's definitely the same thing. It's like if they don't break character in between songs, then it's that much better, you know? Right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Sometimes you get up to a show, and especially in a more like indie rock, like garage rock crowd, it's like, hey, we're, uh, we're, yep, we're park bench, we're from Salt Lake City. (laughs) Here's another song. Yeah, well, you know what I call that? I call that bands they just they don't care so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and you know, it's like it's like it's it's a fucking act. It's it's just as bad as telling the kids to jump. You know yeah, what exactly. I mean? You're, you're you're doing it's just as cliché now. Exactly. Yeah. You know, but <laughs> but it's that's really funny. Uh but then it's it's true though. Then you you're if you're a band that's doing that all of a sudden, anyone that wants to dance like looks like the most uncool person in the room. Yeah, and it's like that's that's what you don't want, you know? Right, like, you exactly. Want, you want people, you want all range of activities that aren't like harmful to other people <laughs> sure. beyond just a few bruises right. to feel natural in that setting. Definitely, definitely. Well, being with All Time Low, I mean, they're they're veterans now, uh, and, and not only are they veterans, but they're some of the nicest guys. You know, no oh matter God, how big they, their band is, they're just sweethearts. Um, you know, I go way back with Alex. And um, did you learn a lot from them, from watching them, like how they are able to play to those young fans? You must have picked oh up a, a couple tricks. So much. They're like, Alex is such a good front man. Like, uh, you know, and and I think just in, like in terms of the way he engages crowds, whether it's a bigger room, like in the big cities, or it's a little bit more intimate, like he knows how to treat each room like yeah. its own thing. And I think that's something that I really appreciated about getting to watch him is he he knows the crowd and he knows what they require to have that mental space, you know? Absolutely. 
Absolutely, no. So, radio show, that's going to be a bit different. Have you guys done much stuff like that? Like, are you guys trying to do, like, get your stuff on the radio? Is that is that a part of what your, you know, your your goal is here? I think so. I think, I mean, we, we never, our, collectively, our favorite bands as a group are the replacements and the clash. Yeah. Um, and so, like, radio hits were never something that, was a requirement when we were thinking about starting to take it more seriously. Sure. Um, but at the same time, we do care about about getting real music into mainstream outlets, and we have an opportunity to put it there, and have an opportunity to hopefully open a door for other bands that are making real, honest music that isn't that isn't you know like made in some weird song factory. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so. And so th- that's part of our fight is like, it's, it's mostly a selfish fight is like, yeah, we want to, we want to be big and we want to, <laughs> but we don't want to, we don't want to make any sacrifices, but th- like this radio station, for example, just like likes the music we put out. And so they play it all the time. And, uh, and now we're playing at their festival. And so we've been doing a lot of, a lot of the alternative radio festivals, yeah. but they so like 91X Fest in San Diego and BFD in the Bay Area. Um, it's a good time. It's fun. It's we're, it's always fun to be the hardest band on a bill. Oh, definitely. You know, because we we go back and forth. Like we we'll, we played at Rock Fest in uh, Montebello. Yeah, great festival. Uh, and we were we were among the softer bands on that, and yeah. that was a lesson in just like how to play to a tough crowd. Yeah, and then also yeah. like. One of the last tours we did with with Emily's Army was opening for Pennywise and Rise Against. Right. And so we've learned how to kind of morph morph our stage presence without sacrificing what we do um, and cater it to each room we play in. Definitely. It's funny you bring up Rise Against because I was just about to mention them. Um, you know, they're a band. They come from a punk rock background, you know. Uh, you know, they used to be... a uh, some of the members in 88 Fingers Louie, which was my, you know one of my favorite punk bands when I was a kid. You know, they yeah. come from that real that real thing, like similar to, you know, you guys. And it's funny because the one of the first bands I ever interviewed, if you will, um, it was this thing put together by some publication where we were going to interview Rise Against and Rise Against was going to interview us or something. Oh, whoa. So I, I took it pretty seriously because that's just in my nature. <laughs> so I yeah. was asking Tim like the hard questions and I asked him about radio. And um, and he said something not quite as, as, as uh, well thought out as your answer, to be honest with you. Uh, great answer, by the way. But one Thank thing you. he said was was, you know, radio came to us. And radio wanted to play our music, and our music was the music we wanted to play. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. You know what I mean? And and they, they took a lot of shit, I mean, for all of a sudden yeah. being in the radio. But it was like, well, hey, like, I don't care if you listen to the radio or not. Wouldn't you rather, if it happens to be on, hear a band like Rise Against or a band yeah, like exactly. Swimmers? Like, think about how much better so many so many kids' lives are because they can hear Rise Against on the radio instead of some soulless bullshit you know yeah like that's the thing that i think being a band from a a more like art driven city like oakland or or just like that that people don't really understand because it's so insular is like like you can you can keep your artistic purity as much as you want but at the end of the day like 
Like, there are so many people who are begging for more music in the suburbs and in the middle of the country, and it's just not coming to them. Right. And and, and so, like, like somebody made fun of us because we had a shirt in Hot Topic, and I was like, you're fucking stupid because, now, like... Yeah, it's just it's just a dumb argument that people in cities don't realize, you know, like like kids in the suburbs and in the middle of nowhere deserve culture too. Well, sure. I mean, that's a big thing with Warp Tour. I mean, we play a lot of places on Warp Tour we wouldn't normally go through, and that's exactly. their only chance at, at some of those kids seeing um, you know, I'm not saying my band is important to see, but there are bands on Warp Tour that can be important to see whether it's Anti-Flag, you know, or War on Women or yeah. like, there's a lot of bands with with important messages that sometimes people in those places don't get. You yeah. know what I mean? So I agree with you, man. I agree with you. But, you know, you said you talk about art and, and you you have a very artistic way of your music. But at the same time, you're on like a big label. Um, you guys are getting all these big tours and stuff. There's like it's kind of a weird dichotomy duality of where you're. Your career business sense seems really good and really on top of things. And then musically, you're really fighting every inch for that art <laughs> to be artistic along with it. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Is that, is I mean, that I hard think, for you as like a front man of a band to be like, okay, this is my art, but also I have to think about the business? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm, I'm really lucky because each personality in the band is so strong and different from each other. Like, like if I were doing this and if this were just my band... Right. It w- we would probably have failed a long time ago because I'm such a purist at heart and sure. I, I have, you know, like I, I have a way I, I think things should go. Um, but because, because it, it, I'm just one fourth of the whole and I'm lucky enough to have my brother who is much more, much more interested in that side right. of things. And, and, uh, you know, so I think at the center of swimmers is that tension between us. And I think it's both beautiful and something that we struggle with. Um, not in like any, not in any extreme way, but just like that, like trying to figure out where your identity lies in between the two extremes, you know? Absolutely. I mean, well, every, you know, every Patrick Stump needs a Pete Wentz, right? You know? <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> it's true, exactly. though. It's true. I mean, every band has the business guy and, you know, and every band has the guy who literally doesn't know what the fuck is happening and is just there for the ride. <laughs> That's there me, has yeah. to be, there has to be those people in the band or, yeah. you know, not everybody can, can do, not everyone can be the driving creative force. Not everybody can be the businessman. And I think when, when bands figure out their roles and everyone does, not only does their job well, but also enjoys what they do, then it's a, you can be really successful. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So uh, it's great, great to have you on the show. Um, one, one thing I like to talk about, because I find it very interesting um, with just about everybody, but especially you, is just how you grew up, how you got into music, punk rock, um, and found yourself, you know, on this journey now, whatever it is, 22, 23 years later, you find yourself in. Uh, I know you're from California, uh, mm-hmm. from Oakland. Uh, walk me through your early life. Like, what was your family structure like? Do you have brothers and sisters? H- how was it growing up? I'm the third kid of four, um, and my family is a very, like, interesting upper-middle-class bohemian family, like, my parents are together. They're awesome. They're the best. Uh, my mom was able to stay at home, so I had a lot of like close attention, child care in my life. Uh, 
And now like seeing some of my friends have kids, it's like, I, I realize more and more how lucky I am to have had that just because yeah. like getting care all the time is something that's really hard. Um, and my dad's an architect. So there was always a, a sense that, that I would, I was able to do something creative. Um, and one day when I was four years old, he met Billy Joel Armstrong and Billy asked him to design him a house. And then <laughs> our, yeah. Wow. And so, so that's how I know Billy. And, and I was the same age as Joey and our moms were both pregnant with our younger brothers. And so we, we instantly became like best family friends. And, uh, so Max, Joey and I, Max is my older brother and he's also in the band and yeah. he's also same exposure to art as I was. Um, and, and so from there, like we were just, you know, we used to go like to Harry Potter premieres and Star Wars, like, <laughs> like we would go opening night to like every nerd thing you could imagine. Star Wars, Harry Potter, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, like everything. We were just like total nerds. We used to play Star Wars in our backyards. We all had lightsabers. Nice. Um, and then one day a nerd film came out that wasn't about aliens or magic and it was about it was about being in a band when you're 10 years old and it, and it was school of rock and right so, of course and so like funnily enough like we had billy who should have been our like first thing that got us interested in music but <laughs> but we were jack interested. black <laughs> it was jack black but because of because of billy we immediately had like instruments we could go we could go like fuck around on and and say we had started a band. And so we started a band like right after that. And we didn't know how to play anything. Um, but that's kind of my introduction to music. And I always, um, you know, the first song we wrote was called Uh Oh, Let's Go. And we just rewrote Hey Ho, Let's Go. <laughs> yeah. Blitzkrieg Bop. Yep. Um, and from there, it was just, we always just like, we were able to play music all the time because there wasn't like my parents loved having music around because they didn't have any music music in either of their upbringing right and so they were really excited that that max and i had taken an interest in music and then obviously like billy didn't billy and adrian didn't have a problem with us playing music around the house and so we were just always able to practice and always able to like really hone in on what we were doing and so by the time we were 13, 14. It had been five years of doing that. And we started playing shows around Oakland and, yeah. and in Berkeley at Gilman Street. And it was just like we had, it was such a dream because we had like recording equipment that we could use in Billy's basement. Right. So we cut, we, we cut all these demos and would send them out to venues. Um, and so we literally just like every impulse we had with music we were able to expand upon right away and that's something that like that i mean that's like the most like lucky series of event of events i could ever think about in music you know oh sure i mean it's kind of like that's the thing though like a lot of people will will hear about your band and hear your story and be like oh that like kid hit the fucking jackpot and in a lot of ways they're right yeah it's true and I, but it's, they think about it in the wrong way. They think, you know, it's like because, I mean, there was a lot of attention on what we were doing by the time we turned 15, 16 because yeah. of Green Day. But we had also, like, the, the more, the, the, the bigger fortune we had in it 
that people don't that people aren't don't realize when they try to talk shit on us is that it wasn't just that it was that we were we were just able to practice and practice songwriting and we had exposure to like the biggest punk rock band ever you know? <laughs> yeah it, it really is it really is the biggest punk rock band ever which is funny when you hear it just yeah. say, you know just say it like like that um yeah. but but i mean he must have billy must have had a big role i mean in helping you guys out uh, i mean that, yeah. that's another thing like like you know joey is a drummer and you're the singer you think if anything it would be the other way around because you know right uh, so how did that? How did you guys kind of find your roles in in you being the the front man and him being the drummer? I think you know when you're young, everybody like, and there's a drum set around. Everybody wants to be the drummer because that's like the most gratifying instrument. To yeah, play. sure. But Joey had more of an internal rhythm just because of I think it's probably genetics and also probably just because he had that much more exposure to music growing up. Yeah, and so he was immediately like better at drums than us. And so then I would just kind of like do, I would like strum the guitar that he had. It was one of those little Epiphone built-in speaker ones. Oh, really? Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, I know what and, you're talking uh, about. Yeah. And I like, I thought I was playing these crazy solos that I was actually just like doing the equivalent of gibberish on a guitar. <laughs> um, and so that's kind of where it started. That's how he got into drums. And I think Billy was really happy when he had a proclivity for drums just so because that is such an extra extra pressure that he got to take off because it wasn't the immediate it wasn't like the immediate comparison to make you know right right and and i was always i i used to read like a book every day when i was little i was like obsessed with reading and writing well that's good and so, Shit. And so i started writing songs immediately and that's where where i started really like that's where I mean, I'm not the best guitar player, but that's where I consider myself to be more of an expert is in in writing songs, you know? That's cool. Um, no. Yeah. And so, and then my brother also writes songs, so we had the natural competition of just like, I want to write more songs than you, et cetera. Um, and so that was that was nice. And, and so it just kind of fell in like that. And um, and by the time we were playing shows, I, I was playing guitar and singing I kind of forced my older brother to play bass, even though he was better at guitar than me. Okay. Only because he wasn't there on the founding day of the band. And so it was always Joey in my band, even though he was much more, he was much more predisposed to, to running the band than I was. So you give him a hard time for not being an original member because he wasn't there yeah. the very first day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he joined like the next day. <laughs> That's very funny. But because of that, he was the bass player all through the Emily's Army years. Yeah. But now, now he picked up guitar again after Emily's Army was done, and now he's much better at guitar than I ever was. Which is funny. He just he has the motor skills for it. Right. Sometimes I know that's that's just what it is. So you talk about your influences. You talk about um, you said the Replacements, and you said what was the other band you said? The Clash. The Clash, of course. Yeah. And, and you know, being younger. Um, you know, being pretty far removed, uh, you know, I mean, you, you know, those bands were broken up by the time, you know, before you were born. How did you get into that, that those kind of bands? Um, because like when I listen to you guys, I definitely hear those influences, but then I hear some modern influences too. And you bring up Fiddler, mm -hmm. like, like them, you know, Zach producing mm -hmm. your record. Um, yeah. so it's kind of a cool combination of influences, but I'm wondering how you 
got into those kind of, um, for lack of a better word, old school bands? Yeah, my sister, when she was in eighth grade, her boyfriend, uh, this guy, Isaac Yoder, he was, a, he was a punk rocker. Great name. Rocker. Yeah. And, and so I was like obsessed with him. He had, he had like the Justin Bieber hair back when it was the strokes hair, you know, <laughs> okay, Justin yeah. Bieber hadn't, Justin Bieber hadn't come out yet. So it was the strokes hair <laughs> and he wore all black all the time. And he used to make her these CDs and we shared a desktop computer in my house. And so our iTunes had all this music right. and I used to steal. And then it, she had an iPod too that I used to steal. And I remember when I was eight years old, I stole her iPod and I listened to Bank Robber by The Clash like five times in a row on my bed, just thinking this is the coolest song ever. And it had the it had the hook. Uh, 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 uh. Yeah. And I don't know why it was that song, but that was my favorite song. Yeah, it's funny, you know, how sometimes some certain songs just kind of gravitate towards you and you don't even really know why, mm-hmm. you know. There's, like, a few Bad Religion songs. Bad Religion's one of my favorite bands, and, like, there's a few yeah. other songs that aren't, like, hits or anything that I just, like, think are their best songs. So mm-hmm. it can be weird, you know, with that stuff. Um, yeah, so so talk to me about this uh, Making the Record, Drive North. Uh, it's a great mm-hmm. record for people that haven't heard it. I, I highly recommend you check it out. Um you made that record with Zach from Fiddler. How did that come about? Him working on the record? Has he produced a lot of records? What, what's what's the deal there? Yeah. So before us, I mean, he kind of produced their first record, the first Fiddler album. Yeah. And um, he was actually he was coming out of rehab, and we were like huge fans of what they were doing, and and we. <laughs> um, Colin does his press too and he does Colin does right. his press and he also happens to do Billy's press and Billy was the one who actually had to call him and be like hey I know you're going to going right back to your old like plug right now but you shouldn't do it um, and so we got to know Zach through Billy but we um, we played a few shows with them because of like the Southern California Burgerama, like that whole phenomenon that was, that's still happening, but it was like at its high peak two, three years ago. Yeah. You know? Um, and so we were in with Burger Records and we were doing some stuff and we ran into him and that's like, we were like, oh, like, you know, Joey's dad, like you should come watch us play. And he did. And, and from there we, he, he wanted to work with us. We wanted to work with him. Cool. And so we just kind of hung out. He was actually the, before we had a manager or anything or really like anyone that like was helping us think far ahead, he was the first person to kind of tell us like, Hey, like you guys should make sure you like are represented and like you put this album out on a label or like at least like have, or like you could put it out yourselves. Just make sure you have like a good plan with it. And so that was really cool of him. That is cool. But you know, I'm kind of wondering, you know, starting the band at such a young age, like mm-hmm. you know, your 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 kids, you can't drive. You can't drive your gear. <laughs> like you, your parents must have been pretty important. I mean, obviously, you, probably your parents too. But of course, Billy. I mean, wasn't yeah. shouldn't he have been the guy being like, "All right, this is what you do." Like I'm in the biggest band in the world. Like here's what you do. Did he not do that, or was he trying to I mean, just kind of separate himself from that, it? But there was an extent of that. But like also, we were getting to the point we were moving out of the house. 
you know, we were trying to be independent and he really wanted to respect that. Right. Sure. And he was like, you guys are doing your own thing. Like you like these new songs you're writing, like, like, uh, these sound like you guys, this sounds like the most natural you've ever sounded. Um, and I, he didn't want to be, he didn't want anyone, you know, cause what happened with Emily's army was like, a lot of those songs were great, but like, because I think, I think a lot of people paid attention to it because he produced them. Yeah. Um, and that's, the, I mean, like to have Billy Joe Armstrong produce your first two albums, like that's the coolest shit ever. But, but, um, we got to making album three and then we were like, Oh, like we kind of want to stop doing Emily's army. We want to do this. And, and then we got like, we, we kind of had our own support network built around us. That was, that was, um, that was kind of independent of the green day camp. And that was like huge for us in terms of growing up. You yeah, know? exactly. Um, and so he really like, he kind of like had his hands fully off. Like he never really was super hands on other than just like hitting record and giving us a few tips and suggestions and teaching us how to get fun guitar tones and like crazy guitar tones. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like his, his, Involvement was a lot more just as a parent who knew the ropes that could show us a lot of things than a producer. Pretty um, cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. As a singer um, and a young singer, you know, mm-hmm. a singer with, I, I assume you didn't have a lot of, like, I don't know if you took ever took any lessons or anything, but you pretty much probably nope. didn't. Yeah. So, was it, I mean, maybe it was for you. It was like, that's just my friend's dad. It gets not weird. Yeah. But I, yeah. I could imagine being in a vocal booth with, Billy Joel hitting record and being like, Hey, try that again. Like do that again. Maybe sing it like this. And he, you know, sings it back to you. Was that weird at all for you? Or was it just like, Nope, this is just a dude. Yeah, no, it was super natural because like all the equipment we cut our first demo, it's on like the, he had this Tascam, this Tascam eight track tape machine. And, and he showed us how to use it. And so he was the first person to ever hit record on my voice before I even knew <laughs> yeah. how to make a voice memo or anything. So it felt super natural, you know? Did and, he give you any pointers? Yeah. I mean, he would tell me, he, he was kind of the first person to teach me how to sing more from my stomach than my throat. Cause, yeah. uh, you know, when you're, you're little and you're singing songs, you want to sound Especially if you like have choir in school, they teach you how to sing all, all soft and sweet. And he was like, "No, like you're a rocker. Like you should. <laughs> you're you're a punk rocker. You need to sing from your gut because that's what you're feeling." Absolutely, that's very yeah. very cool. Very cool. Um, have you met Miley Cyrus yet? No. What the and fuck, it's, man? <laughs> it's funny we have a lot like enough mutual acquaintances to where. I'm almost positive she's heard the song, but she must be going through some transformative period because she's not, she's not crazy anymore. She's back to like normal Miley and Mm. she must not like the song, I guess. Maybe she likes the song so much. She's just like nervous and doesn't know how to contact you and doesn't know what to say. You know, like sometimes I have bands that I love so much that I don't want to meet because I think it would ruin my relationship with them. (laughs) You right. know, and their art. So maybe that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe I had to ask. Um, yeah, but um, yeah. Another thing too is so Emily's army. Emily's army is dead. The band name is dead. Yes. But one thing I love that you guys did is that you kept it going, 
as a website because it is a tribute to your cousin. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and it's I always thought it was a cool name, anyways. You know, for it being a tribute to your to your cousin and everything. Um, talk a little bit about that because I think that's something people should know about. Yeah, totally. So I think my mom was really involved, and she had this foundation called Emily's Army when I was growing up, and she still does it. Um, and we we were trying to pick a band name, and we used to be called The Clocks, and there was a metal band from the Bay called The Clocks, so we couldn't be that. And she was like, oh, you guys should just call yourselves Emily's Army. Like, that would be cool for me because it would be yeah. more exposure for your cousin who has cystic fibrosis. Um, and we could like, and we could do joint events and like, I think it's a cool name. Like you should take it. Um, and so, yeah, we, we just ran with that and we are, she already had merch for the foundation. So that was like the first time <laughs> when we were trying to get our name out there, we would just sell her charity shirts right. and, and give her the money. Um, and so it was cool. And my, I'm still like my cousin, Emily came to see us in Anaheim the other day. Um, and it's it's amazing because we've been since we've been doing it since we had been doing Emily's Army from that point until now the the amount of awareness and and technology and like scientific advancement in the field of cystic fibrosis research has like grown so exponentially yeah to where like when when I was little I remember hearing that my cousin Emily who's my age was only supposed to live to be like 12 because of cystic fibrosis yeah fuck and and now and now like in that time and with the treatment she's been doing she's still like she's thriving now and she's like she like is a founding member of this startup and is like doing great things and our manager Chris also has CF and he's like 36 and no problems at all yeah yeah well, that's really great. So, and it's really great that you're uh, that you're still doing that. And I think it's I think it's a really cool thing. Um, so you guys got some stuff coming up. I was looking at the website. You guys are very busy for the rest of the year. Yes. Um, some big headline stuff, or well, co-headlining with the Interrupters, which is awesome. Um, but one thing I noticed is that you guys are playing Summer Sonic in Japan. Yes. Have you been there before? No. Oh, I'm- are you stoked? <laughs> I'm literally like so excited. I cannot contain myself. I'm, and that's a big like, festival too. Who's headlining it? Foo Fighters. Oh, sick. Yeah, so it's like a big one. And yeah, it's just going to like like the fact that we get to go to Japan and play songs for people and and like it makes sense for us to go there and that our our album is like being reviewed in all Japanese characters. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's such a trip. So we're going out a few days early and, and like go going and being tourists in Kyoto. And nice, we're just yeah. like, fuck yeah. So, so hyped. No, that's, I, that's great. Yeah. It's, it's have wild. Have you guys been out there? Yeah, yeah. We've been there quite a few times now. Um, and, and every time I love it and it's, it's just so, it's so different, but you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, there really is like a, everyone is there so peaceful, you know? Yeah. It's like people are very, very respectful you know, you don't see like a lot of like crazy guys running around in the streets or anything. You know what I mean? Everyone's very yeah, and it's a nice feeling. And and um, if you guys are walking around with like you know white skin and green hair or whatever, you're gonna get a lot of looks. So get ready for that. Like when people take pictures of you, like they don't they ask just you, they're just it, right? they're just taking a picture of you, and you're like, uh, okay, <laughs> it's it's, uh, it's pretty funny, but but. Uh, 
the fans are, are it's you know they'll come with, at you and they'll give you all these gifts, you know, yeah, I, and they I, won't I speak English. Left. It's crazy. My suitcase is like half full right now because I heard just to like have enough space to bring the cool things back. Oh yeah, yeah. You'll be given cool stuff and you'll just see stuff in these like weird shops and and uh, you you guys are gonna have an absolute blast and and being able to do it there. Um, another cool thing is like I don't know if you've seen. I assume your CDs get released over there like as domestic yeah. and and yeah. seeing all your lyrics like that that have been oh, translated into shit. Japanese characters is kind of a trip too. Yeah. That's super trippy. Yeah, it's 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 going to be really really fun. Um and uh, did I see Australia there too? Have you been there? Yeah, we we actually went there. That was the last tour Emily's Army ever did and that was um we did that festival that ended up bombing um Oh, Soundwave? Yeah. Right. Yeah, the last we were the last year. Did you get paid? Um, I think we got paid like half of what we uh-huh. were supposed to get paid. Did you did you get paid? We didn't do it that year. We got paid the okay. we did it twice. We did Soundwave twice. We got paid both times and we got paid rather handsomely to be honest. But it yeah, was funny no. when they when they released the the list of the bands that hadn't got paid and some of the bands were owed like a million bucks. Yeah, that was like, Fuck. oh my god. Yeah. I like on a human level, I was like like obviously I was pissed that he fucked up and like didn't pay us, but I was like, yeah, like I feel really bad for this guy. Um and he has to somehow deal with these like million dollar payments and ours is only like ours was like the biggest guarantee we've ever been guaranteed and to yeah. get half of it was still like awesome. So <laughs> I wasn't mad at all. Totally. Totally, man. Yeah. Um, have you guys done much headlining before? Yeah, that was actually like the bulk. The bulk of our touring has just been headlining, but like not like not like big shows. You know, like we always believed that that we were just gonna go play to a bunch of people, uh, like playing a bunch of little towns, and whoever comes would come back. Hopefully, next time we come through, and bring five friends. Right. And that was always kind of our philosophy. So this all-time low run and the Fiddler run before that were kind of the first big support tours we ever we ever did. And uh, I wish somebody had told us sooner that that was like the thing to do because now we have so many so many new fans from it. And so it was like we like doubled we doubled everything just in these last two tours that we had been building for so long, just on our own, you know. No, it's great. I mean, I've, I see the venues you're playing. I see December 2nd, you'll be in Toronto at the Opera House, which is one yes. of my favorite venues in the world. I'm from Toronto. Really? I so, love Toronto. I love Toronto, the Toronto scene. Like, everybody there is every, in every different t- style of music that I've met has been so cool and makes such good music. Yeah. I, yeah, I think so. I mean, we have a lot of diversity here, and I think a lot of, like, a lot of the people that are into, you know, hardcore or also into punk rock or... You know, like yeah. like we, there's not a lot of separation in our scene, which I think yeah, like, some places you don't find that. So uh, that yeah. that's a cool thing. People are very open minded here. Yeah, totally. Like that band, like I'm a huge fan of that band, Pup. Oh yeah, and and they seem to have a lot of crossover with the hardcore and punk rock worlds. You know, it's like some of them were in hardcore bands, some of them are just punk rockers. Some of them, like, yeah, it's just cool. No, they're one of the they're one of the best, and they are like they are straight out of Toronto. They are like downtown yeah. boys, which is cool too. That's um, safe. So yeah, I, I back uh, I back back pup very very hard. Uh, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, man. But um, 
Let's talk about Uncool Fest, which you did. Yeah. You're doing it again, Halloween edition. Yeah. Uh, what's up with that? So we we always like the, some of our favorite shows we've played have been smaller, um, like smaller festivals where you know the people putting it on. You know. Yeah. Like like our first like amazing shows were at um, like Burgerama and Beach Goth, which were these these kind of like. Now they've fizzled out, but like they were huge for a minute. They had like, they were getting like 5,000, 6,000 people at them. Wow. And they were just this weird, like homegrown garage rock label. And the Growlers put on the, the Beach Goth one, but Burger Records put on the other one. And so that was super cool and inspiring for us. And so when we put out our record, um, we wanted to kind of start up our own thing, but for kids in Northern California. Because I think there was a lot of focus on Southern California, and that's part of what what that song "Drive North" is about. You know, it's like yeah, sure. Like it's a it's a cheeky song, but it's also it's also how do you take things you love from from places that don't belong to you and bring them to the place that belongs to you and the kids you grew up with, and um, that's how that's how Uncool Fest started. Right. Mild cultural appropriation. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's awesome, man. I, I, I mean, I, ba- I back it. And um, um, I think that's cool for, you know, you guys being a young band, you're already kind of having your own branded festival. And I guess the mm-hmm. sky's the limit, right? I mean, who knows what could happen? Exactly. Like, I mean, it's the, like, the most inspiring thing is like, like the insane clown posse juggalo fest. And <laughs> yeah, then, yeah. like, the gathering, yeah. Yeah. And then also, like, like Tyler, the creator took that idea and made it his own with like odd future. And they have a festival called camp Flogna and that like ended up now is in a baseball stadium. Oh really? I didn't even know. I don't know about that one, but that's crazy. Yeah. And he'll have like a token punk band play too, which is sick. Funny. Yeah. Want to hear this? Want to hear a crazy story? I just re- yes. was reminded about t- Tyler, the creator. So my friends uh, are, you know, football fans, whatever. So they're from Toronto, but every year they go down to a different American city and they go and watch a football game, NFL football game, right? So they're down in Nashville and I guess they, they were seeing the, the football game there and it was the same day as uh, as a Kanye West show. No way. So they go to the football game, they go to a Waffle House, like this is like late at night, and they're there, and they're they're in the Waffle House. It's just them, like four of them, and two other people in there. This big, like they said, like the biggest black guy they've ever seen walks in and just starts like doing up all the blinds in the windows. <laughs> so they're like, uh, what's going on? And the manager of the Waffle House goes over and is like, um, what are you doing? And he's like, yeah, we're, we're going to want to keep these closed. And he's like, okay. And Kanye West and Tyler, the creator, walk in. No fucking way. And they sit right at the table next to them. And, and like, my friend, who's, like, the biggest Kanye fan ever, is just, like, fucking dr- dr- jaw drops. And they're watching these, like, watching these guys just sit there. And there's, like, I don't know, five or six of them and their, you know, and their crew. And they're just sitting there, like, at Waffle House, just, like, hanging out. And That's they're like, amazing. Yeah, and then they went up to Kanye and was like, um, Mr. West, uh, can we get a photo? <laughs> and, and he goes, uh, sorry, cuz, I don't do photos. 
<laughs> and so they didn't get a photo. They have some photos of him. Uh, yeah, that they, they did you the know, Japanese thing. <laughs> exactly. But uh, yeah. but they didn't. But Tyler, the creator, was was there. I guess he was on tour with them too. So I thought that was a, a pretty hilarious story. That's amazing. So you never know, kids, when you're at a Waffle House, who's going to walk in? <laughs> it probably will be me because I love Waffle House. That's literally the best breakfast place in the in the U.S. I think so too. It's like so bad, it's good. Yeah, but like I, for some reason, like I think it's like I think it's much more higher quality than IHOP or Denny's. Like for some reason, it just strikes me as much better. Yeah, I don't know. It's 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 just something about it. I just like love being in there. Their hash browns are fucking so like good. The the aesthetic of it, like just the little the little booth, it's the same size everywhere. Yep. Yeah, it's 24 hours, you know it's going to be open. You, you know it's going to be all right. Yep, yep. I walked in one Not- time. So I'm. everyone knows I'm obsessed with Waffle House, maybe some of the listeners of the show. And I remember I was one time, <laughs> we, we stopped at a, like a, a truck stop or something and on tour. And it was one of those like, all right, go in, take a shit and come out. You know, we got to go. But there was a Waffle yeah. House across the street. And I was like, oh, I got to go. So I ran yeah. over there as fast. So I got it like a takeout order. We were in like Louisiana or something, and uh, <laughs> and you know I, I so I order whatever it is. So I, you know I walk in, I got long hair, I'm wearing all black, mm-hmm. and uh, my order comes to six dollars <laughs> and sixty six cents. And the woman behind the counter goes, "Oh, and honey, your total will be." And she looks at it and she goes, "Oh my God, I can't even say it." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you mean 666? That's amazing. <laughs> but it was the best meal I ever had. That's great. There you go. Hey, uh, well, I hey, th- man, thanks for your time. Uh, good luck with the show tonight at the Crazy Radio Festival. Everything else you got coming up. Uh, anything you want to plug or talk about before you go? Um, check out our new music video. I just directed it. Um, it's for our song, Lose It. It's one of our mellower, more experimental songs. Cool. Um, Sorry, that's Joey sound checking his drums in the background. <laughs> he sounds pretty good. I, I'm I'm backing it. Hell yeah! Hey, I gotta go sound check, but thank you so much for having yes, me. On yes, yes. So so the song was called "Lose It." Lose it. We'll play that right now. Here it is. Awesome. Lose it on Lead Singer Syndrome. Thank you so much, Cole. Have a great show. Thanks, brother. Peace. Have a good one. Peace, brother. There it is with Cole. I do appreciate him taking some time out of probably a very hectic festival schedule, um, squeezing me in for an hour. It's pretty awesome. I know they had sound check, so I really do appreciate him taking the time. Um, make sure you go check out Swimmers. Great band. Really cool. I mean, I know a lot of you guys probably heard Emily's Army back when that was a thing. Also a great band, but some of the stuff they're doing with Swimmers right now is very, very, very interesting and very unique, and I really like it. So check out their record. It is out now. As always, I will leave you with a tune. Uh, I'm going to play Cole's recommendation. Here is Lose It on Lead Singer Syndrome. Peace and love, and we'll see you next week. When I first saw you, I made a mixtape. I didn't know you'd do the same damn thing. When I said goodbye to you, it went quiet. Cause I didn't want to feel any pain. The last thing I want is another debutante to take me away from my world. And I know that wasn't us, but it still got tough. So come on, come on. And tell me why'd you have to have such a day?
Farmer's loan and saving has been overdrafted. Thank you. 